خواهد Cool, so thanks, Ben, for joining us tonight, talking about Polar Bear Jays. Ben Janneke, or did I butcher that? No, that's perfect. So for uh, the sake of, of our, for our listeners who don't know you, give us a bit of a background. Who you are, where you're from, what you're doing at the moment. Okay, cool. Uh, so my name is obviously Ben. Um, I am primarily a javascript developer I, I i don't really like saying javascript developer i'm more of a developer specializing in javascript at the moment because that's what's interesting to me but i am a polyglot uh i started out many years ago um building accident and traffic management systems for government um after that i built a project management system for government and then I moved on to a company called Unbox Consulting in Cape Town and London. There I worked on many different things, um, primarily a website called Contiki.com uh, for the travel industry. And I worked with Gov.uk on um, a platform called Smart Answers. I also, after that, I moved on again to the travel industry to work with a company called Go to Africa. And currently, I'm working at Red Comet Labs um, as a JavaScript developer doing training and consulting and application development. Um, so, Red Comet Labs, you guys should hire us. Uh, we, we do application development and training. Um, but that's just overall me. I, I make cool apps with, with JavaScript. Wow. Yeah, that's quite the resume. Uh. It seems like we just can't get rid of Garen either. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then we also have Kevin. How's it going, Kevin? Hey, yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Thanks. That's good. That's good. Uh, let's hope Bling drops in later. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm excited. So our topic for tonight is Ben's framework. Uh, I hope I get this right. Or scaffolding uh, called Polar Bear. Polar Bear JS. It's quite a, a nice name. First, I need to ask what the backstory to the name is before we even discuss what it's about. Um, so when I started building this, I was working on a side project, um, which is still very deep in my, in my private repositories and will one day be released to be open source, um, called Mood Polar Bear. Um, I have family and friends, uh, that, that suffer with mental disorders and, um, things like bipolar and ADHD and, there are myriad apps out there to help track and um, manage these disorders, um, but none of them are really, I don't know what the word would be, wholesome. Um, what, what I'm busy doing in, in whatever time I find is building this app to help track your mental state and share that with your um, psychiatrist or psychologist or your family members, whoever it would be um to uh just just share that and have deeper insight into into your yourself and um just be able to share that with with the people you care about um so building that i i want to do all, all of the best practices that that i've learned while uh, in my career i i try to apply in wood polar bear um and Factor app was one of the first things that that i knew i had to apply there um if if it were to become a properly scalable system and as a side effect of working on mood Bear, i started polar bear um so that's that's kind of the background of the name wow okay that's that's great it's not what i expected unlike a random name generator it's something meaningful yeah yeah and well, uh, so, sorry, Kevin. Uh, so you've mentioned here yeah, twelve factor and best practice. So perhaps we can take a dive into that. What is twelve factor all about? In your words. Well, twelve factor is is a lot of things. Um, but it's it's mainly a philosophy for building software as a service. Um, so kind of just just reading off some bullet points. It's 
It's about managing your code, managing the way you code, managing the way you build and deploy your code. Um, it's it's an all around philosophy. So if if we go over the twelve points of the twelve factor apps, um, the first thing is uh, your code base should be tracked in one revision control system, um, and there should be many deploys based off this revision control system. So uh, revision control systems such as SVN or Git or Mercurial, um, and a deploy is associated to a point in time in that revision control system. So so a commit or a tag or, or something like that. Um, this This is important for obvious reasons you you want to be able to keep history you want to be able to roll back your your deploys to previous states um that's that's kind of the first point and not really the most important point but but a very important point in the 12 factor app um the second thing is being able to explicitly declare and isolate your dependencies so for people coming from something like Ruby or C Sharp or Python um, or, or even JavaScript, um, isolating and declaring your dependencies is essentially what you would do in a gem file in Ruby um, and have Bundler manage that. Or in JavaScript, in your package.json, you declare your dependencies and you have npm manage that. Um, this is important because we want our our dependencies to be versioned and we want our dependencies to be separate from our internal code base. Um, next up, you, you guys must quite questions if if um, you have anything. Yeah, so 12factor as a whole is really a, a philosophy around how to um, develop an application and deploy an application in a way that it's with that you'd say that it's um, horizontally scalable and things like that yes yes uh, but also that decouples you from the environment that you're actually deploying into um yes and no um I also have to say yes and no uh, <laughs> and that's why i'm throwing it in there this is a debate <laughs> um yes and no um, for the fire I don't think so. I think you can still be very aware of the environment uh, that you deployed in, uh, which is also, I guess it's a blessing and a curse. You could also then stab yourself in the foot um, or shoot yourself in the foot, or you can uh, fully embrace what that is and know that you like still seemed off. I guess the explicitness of 12-factor apps is part of, the, part of the magic. So especially the dependencies explicitly declaring them i mean that's fantastic we've been through this pain in the ruby world like uh, ben said i think a lot of other environments are starting to catch up quickly um to what that means but uh, everything else for you uh, we could kind of like go through the tick boxes and unpack them a bit more as we get to what's relevant to polar bear i mean we'll put a link in the show notes for people but let's cross off all the all 12 points all 12 factors yeah um so, so your question was uh, about decoupling from from your infrastructure. Um, the reason I say yes and no is that yes, by doing things like treating your um, backing services as resources, as attached resources, you are um, completely saying, "Hey, this thing is is just talking to me through this protocol. I don't really care about what what where it comes from. If it lives on the same machine, if it lives on a different machine." Um, that's true, uh, but you are going to have to look at things like building your application, and and for that you need to know what your target environments are going to be. Um, so you you still are to a level tied up to where you're going to. Um, but if you if you build your app and, and following the twelve factor philosophy. Being able to change out infrastructure will be a lot simpler because you're going to be building in such a way that your your build steps will, for example, yeah, for example, your build steps will be dependent on on configurations instead of static um, static variables or, or well, not variables, uh, static constants. 
if that makes any sense. Mm, yeah, that ties into that that third point, third and fourth point, which kind of brings together. So it's storing your configuration in the environment. Yeah. I absolutely love that, as opposed to bloated configs, files, or weird formats, or whatnot. Uh, but I guess you can also get your config data from somewhere else. You just hand it to the process that you're starting, your 12-factor app via the environment. And then that fourth point, the backing services, treating them as attached resources. That kind of ties into that like neat environment config to latch onto some dependency you need, database server or queuing server, uh, but treating it um, completely as something independent so that you can handle failures with it and you can recover from it. It's a nice way to think about yes. it. Yes. Um, so, so as you mentioned, I, I was about to start on point three, um, storing configuration in the environment. Um, that That's, I think, one of the most important points in, in the 12-factor app where you're not you're not storing your configuration in big XML files or, or big JSON files or, or big text files, whatever you're using. Um, you're, you're storing it as a part of your process. You're, you're starting up your process with, with the set of environment variables um, telling it that this is what you should do. And it makes it a lot easier to configure your services at the end of the day, using using that methodology than um, than with config files, and if, if we look way far forward to the tenth point, which is dev prod parity, um, storing your configuration in the environment makes that a lot simpler. But we'll be getting to that soon enough. Yeah, what that really helps to do by storing config in the environment is um, you've got one constant place to keep these variables. And regardless of whether you're building an app using Ruby or JavaScript or Go or whatever it may be, if, you, if you're able to access your environment variable, uh, you, you can then have variables that can be manipulated when you start your application, uh, which don't have to sit in your code base in GitHub, which is a really good bonus. Yeah, that's, that's quite uh, good. But storing config in the environment just also makes a lot of sense from when you look at the 12 factor app platforms out there. So I've worked quite a bit with Heroku. Yes. Um, and I know that I know that there are others. Uh, there's, I think engine yards busy bringing out something as well. No jitsu. There are a few that I've, that I've come across, but what, what I found that these platforms do by, um, by conformance to the 12 factors is give you a really neat set of, nuts and bolts that you can actually start playing with uh, at the infrastructure side that, that are just kind of in a uniform place that your that your code can then hook into. Yeah. Yeah. That's... So although it's not perhaps ubiquitous, but you should be able to take an app that's running on one 12-factor platform and move it onto a different 12-factor platform with relative yeah, ease. Yeah, it, it should be comparatively painless. Um... When, when when you're looking at uh, a dedicated hosted solution where you tailor make your service to 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 fit your application um, if if you have as you said hosting providers that that conform to 12 factor it it will should technically just be as easy as telling them hey I have these services and here's my configuration go um, that's that's theory at least. Yeah, because some of these will do their own magic on the back end to perhaps build a build their product up. But even if you look at something like Heroku, I'm just going back to that one because that's what I'm most familiar with. Uh, your database connection string is just stored in the uh, in the environment. Uh, your database right. URL connections to Redis, anything like that, all just sit there. And if you had to switch over to something that uh, you had to self-host and use Docker or something like that with or DigitalOcean and Docu something like that, uh, you'd be able to use the same kind of system to um, change your code's configuration without having to actually change any of your code, theoretically. Right. So how does, is there anything in the JavaScript world or Node world that's um, very specific for this 12-factor uh, setup, or is it very much standard exactly the same way you'd find it anywhere else? Um, yeah, so you, you have your providers like... Um, Heroku and um, 
Well, well, I'm going to stick to Heroku because I know they, they do it well. I think they actually uh, started the whole 12-factor movement. Um, the manifesto was written by them. Um, but in, in the JavaScript world, it, it's actually really, really easy to build a 12-factor app with JavaScript because it, it is, as we've mentioned, just a philosophy, a way of thinking about building your code base. Um, so uh, I'm not sure if I've exactly answered your question. I just I was curious if it's pretty much the same as anywhere else, or if there was some kind of quirk or funniness with Node trying to be well. Sorry, that, that comes out so horrible in a condemning <laughs> that, way. Just Node trying to be that's, different. That's fine. Um, it's it's actually quite cool with Node. Um, it really lends itself well to to twelve factor because you're treating your processes or your app as processes, and um, one of one of the biggest. Uh, what's the word criticisms of, of node is is that it runs on a single single process or in a single process on a single call uh so if you build your app 12 factor style um and you were to say deploy to a server with four cores uh spinning up four processes on on that one server um would be incredibly easy uh so you could utilize the full server instead of wasting three cores um so that node actually really lends itself quite well to to the 12 factor way of thinking and node processes are nice and cheap node processes are relatively cheap yes as cheap as i would like them to be (laughs) yeah i've got nothing to compare it against i just watch my mouth rather than say something stupid (laughs) (laughs) so so tell us a bit like how does polar bay take help us take advantage of this 12-factor method of developing apps. Okay, so um, what Polybear really aims to do is give you a set of tools to start building your app with. Um, so it's it's still very much in its infancy, and I haven't pushed to Polybear in a, in a few weeks um, because I just started a new job. Uh, you can expect right after DevConf that I, I should start contributing again. Um, but what it aims to do is give you some some minor scaffolds that help you get started. So it, for example, gives you a, a node server, an express server, that's set up to deal with um, configuration coming from the environment. It's set up to deal with uh, having attached services. It's it's set up to deal with. Um, Having having a bold step, having a release step. Um, what Polar Bear eventually also is going to include is um, a set of infrastructure management scripts, which will allow you to utilize services like AWS or DigitalOcean. Um, some Ansible scripts that help you to set up a basic server for a twelve-factor node app. Um, so you can just spin up your server, run your Ansible scripts against it, and deploy any Polar Bear-based app to that with with relative ease. It's going to come with a set of scripts to uh, facilitate building and running and deploying. Um, it's 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 actually really ambitious and it and it wants to do a lot. Um, and and it's going to take quite a while to get there, but yeah. Where did you get the the inspiration from for such a ambitious project? Or was it just scratching your own itch? Um, so I I start a lot of things. Um, I've I've had to start a few few projects in my life, and every every time I start a project, I, I try to not create the world and and build everything inside of the project because then you're you're wasting your client's time and you're wasting your team's time um playing with with tools and toys while you should be trying to deliver business value um and when it comes to 12 factor node applications there really isn't too much out there that gives you everything node node is special in that it, it has a lot of very specialized tools um, that that are isolated and and do what they do really well. But it's very rare that you find something in Node that brings it all together. And 
what Polar Bear wants to be is something that brings it all together and makes it really easy to just get started and have a good solid foundation to start your applications on. Um, so, so me having to have your, your question was where, where does the inspiration come from? It's, it's from me being lazy and, and wanting somewhere solid to start from every time I start a new project. So batteries included. Batteries included, hopefully. I was listening to another podcast. I can't remember even which one it was. But the guys were basically complaining about the same issue with Node and all these super specialized packages. And they were saying if John Resig had to do jQuery today, um, <laughs> people would just laugh him off. Why would you build something so big? You're supposed to use these 10 billion modules together to get what you want. And they were kind of hoping that the pendulum would like swing back a bit. So like not towards the monolithic libraries, but like somewhere in the middle, because in their opinion, it was always like you just find something and then you start plugging in, you need to go find your own batteries. And nobody's willing to take the chance and say, like, this is the five things that work together or 10 things that work together in this way. Yeah, so that's that's kind of what I what I want to do with Polar Bear. Um, the pendulum might be swinging too far in the other direction with me. Um, but I, I want to say, if I'm going to get started on a project tomorrow, I want to use an API server that's Express. I want to use a front end that's React um, with with some kind of Redux or something. Uh, maybe I'll add Ember to this as well because I do use Ember on occasion. But these are the same defaults that I want, and I take a day or two every time I start something to implement them. I I don't have a hundred days a year to re-implement the same thing. Let's let's get something. Let's get some groundwork laying, and and let's build on top of that. So you've mentioned Express and React. So this is specifically um, for building HTTP web apps, then, right? Uh yeah. So Polar Bear is for Node Software as a Service. Um, if if you want to deliver software as a service on the web, what Polar Bear wants to help you do. Okay, so you've hooked up Express and React so far. Well, you've mentioned those two. What else do you get out of the box when uh, you scaffold a new app using Polar Bear? So once Polar Bear hits V1, um, you're going to have a CI server, a Jenkins CI server. You're going to have Ansible infrastructure management scripts. Um, let me just open up my README here and 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 read through it so I can be a hundred percent sure again. You're going to have API servers. Uh, you're going to have your client applications, and um, maybe this is a very big maybe. You're going to have a, a framework to help you talk to your databases, but I'm I'm very unsure about that at the moment. That's a big undertaking. Giving out an ORM. Well, no, not 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 an ORM. Um, not. Yeah. So so that's that's why I <laughs> I'd rather wax over that that one and and and, and not talk about it until I'm very sure about what what it is I want to build there. Yeah. No, let let people bring their own bring their own data to the party. You sort out the rest for them. Yeah. Um, so there's there's going to be on the API server side an opinion as to what a good starting data data source would be, and that's going to be Postgres, um, because it gives you so much power. Um, if if you want to do uh, JSON stores, Postgres does that as well now. Um, even you're even able to index it now. Um, so there, there is a very strong opinion coming out of the gates with Polar Bear that Postgres is is the way to go for for your your starting app. Yeah, so Garen hasn't managed to drop nature on CouchDB yet. Uh he's he's trying very hard, um, <laughs> but I, I I need to sit down and actually work with Couch before I can I can make a call. No, Postgres makes a lot of sense. I think uh, I, I still. Ask the question when I'm looking at data stores of try give me a good reason why not to use Postgres. Yeah, yeah. So I was busy looking through the readme and I'm just trying to think, how do you do stuff like running periodic tasks or if you need to do, like let's say you do have a database, you need to run migration scripts or some kind of schema maintenance or 
cron style jobs. It's like a whole part of node development that I'm not familiar with. How would that work? How does it work with Polar Bear? Do you, do you provide some like training wheels to get going there? Yeah, so that's actually the 12th point of the 12-factor app is being able to run admin and management tasks as one-off processes. Um, so Polar Bear is going to come with uh, a framework, not a framework, a CLI tool similar to Rake or Grunt, um, but a bit more, a bit different to what Grunt does um, that will allow you to run node code in separate processes, um, also based off the 12-factor uh, philosophy. So you're going to be passing configuration as environment variables into these processes, and they're going to be runnable um, from the CLI. Um, no idea what I want to call that yet. Maybe Salmon? Who knows? And getting started with... With Polar Bear, I mean, is it like a classic Yeoman-style generator or something similar? Or is it like, do we need to, or do users need to clone the repo and then work from that and then rebase off your changes? What, what are you thinking? Like, how's the day-to-day going to work? So I, I was considering Yeoman for a while. Um, my problem with Yeoman is that Yeoman templates are actually really hard to maintain. Um, I've worked with some in the past, and if if you just go look at the human catalog, you'll find many, many, many templates that that were started, um, and and they just stagnate because going back and retrofitting new features onto a human template takes quite a lot of time. Um, so for now, Polar Bear is just going to be clone this repo. Um, and get running eventually there's going to be a cli tool that will do the scaffolding for for polar bear though um it it will just be the polar bear command line client and you'll be able to go polar bear new api and it will scaffold out an api application for you or you can go polar bear new client and it'll scaffold out her react redux application for you or polar bear new infrastructure um api and it'll scaffold out API server infrastructure Ansible code for you. Um, that's the long-term goal. For now, it will just be one big repo that you can clone down and just copy directories as, as you create new new API servers or client servers or infrastructure um, sets. I guess it's a nice, easy way to get started and to get people playing with it and contributing fixes quickly. Yes. Yes. So, so speaking of people contributing, is there anything you want people to raise their hands up for and, or just going to come test and play or any specific missing pieces you want to outsource? Um, so when it comes to the DevOpsy stuff, I, I will always truly appreciate help there. Um, if, if there are any Docker wizards out there or Ansible wizards that, that want to just tackle getting getting a basic node server set up i i would be incredibly grateful for that um very soon i've actually just recently finished um the server side rendering for the react client application if if um i could have some people just throw their eyes over that and see how that looks because i've done it a tad differently than um it's traditionally done and um the feedback i've gotten so far on that is is that it it, it's a bit clearer about what's going on uh but if i can get some more feedback on that that would be great um if people want to jump in and and look at the api and say hey i don't like express i like happy um and you you give me a pull request with some reasons why happy is better than express i i will definitely replace what i have right now um even if you want to go in and create an issue and start a debate about um whether i'm right or wrong about certain technology choices uh feel free to do that um i i want to create a tool for not just myself but for the community at large uh so anything you see 
you think immediately just screams at you is wrong, create an issue, or um, anything you feel, if, if you open up a file and you say, this shouldn't be 500 lines long, put it up into five files that are 100 lines long and, and create a pull request, I'll be more than happy to look at that. I must say, I am really curious to hear how you did the React server-side rendering. Please, please, please tell me. <laughs> um, so it's it's using React Router and um, Redux. So I opted not to go with the Redux uh, simple router thing. Um, it's it's in there and it ties up once you're on client, but it doesn't tie up on server. Um, let me just quickly open up the code here. So if you go into the polar bear directory client server and you go to index.js, um, you'll see that it's 16 lines long. Uh, that's that's not your typical express server. Um, so what I've done is I've split up the roots uh, in into separate express mini routers, and you'll see there's a client.js inside of roots um that's similar to what the traditional server-side rendering is um it, it uses uh the react router match which is which is for server-side rendering um takes your your route and your current location and i i i won't be too much longer on this but it then hydrates a, a plain string in, instead of some um, React HTML with uh, the rendered output of that root. Um, so if, if you look at line 20 in um, client.js, you'll, you'll see there's a call to render, and that renders to a string that you then pass to um, your response. Oh, back up to the layout. That's very neat. That is so small. Yeah, that's that's what I was going for because React server side rendering, um, all the scaffolds and the boilerplate out there, and I'm I'm a terrible person for saying this, but they are terrible and they are hard to understand, and there are these five hundred line long files that aren't separated into into logical pieces, and I cry every single time I I, I try to find a boilerplate, and I just wanted a nice easy boilerplate to get started with. Yeah, that is really nice and neat. I mean, I did, like I haven't used React, but I can see from this high stitches together. I was just curious because I've been watching the Ember fast boot efforts to get the server side rendered uh, DOM and hydrate up the client, and that's been a huge ongoing effort for them uh, to refactor Ember itself to make it easier and everything else they've needed to do. And so, yeah, well, that this is neat. Yeah, React really actually lends itself quite well to to server-side rendering because it's because of the whole virtual dom thing um the dom just being a string that that the library manages um it's it's quite easy for react to do server-side rendering um it's it's just not always been implemented in the most bestest way well kudos for pushing the game forward a bit um if 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 you really want to see someone push the game forward uh you should look at eric elliott um, I, I understand he's doing some work with with server side rendering that that might make big big waves. Nice. I'll find a link for that for the show notes. Yeah, just looking at these files, I love how everything is just split into small logical units. That's that's very nicely done. That's what we hope for, and that's what I'm going to try and maintain. Okay, cool. Uh, where were we? We were. Stuck on point three and point four, so um, config and backing services, treating backing services as attached resources. We we've gone over that. Um, that's just if you have a database server or an API or something, um, don't treat it as part of your code base. Treat it as the same way you would treat a library such as underscore or lodash or um, mongoose. Uh, it's it's a separate dependency that you explicitly declare um, that you can swap out and um, you know how to deal with it. Um, so the next the next step is uh, building, releasing, and running. So you want 
used to be in separate stages. Um, so you don't want the traditional click the green arrow in my IDE and everything everything happens and my and my app appears. Um, you you want to be able to facilitate something like that, um, but you want your steps to be very very separate from each other. So your bold step is just to take your code and munge it into a format that can be executed. Um, releasing your code should be a separate thing that it takes the bolt source and and pushes it somewhere. And running your code should be taking the released source and or the bolt bolt source and um, throwing that into a process. Mm, that makes sense because then you can easily roll back again from one release to another because you've got these consistent artifacts that you generated. Correct. Correct. Um. I think for teams used to compilers, you know, they just like, yeah, whatever. This is this jar file that we had or this assembly that we had. What are you guys on about? But the dynamic languages have a different challenge. Yes, here. very, very much so. Um, very, very much so. Yeah. yeah, because we don't necessarily have a bold artifact that uh, that you would then ship off separately and execute. So when you're working with Polar Bear, what or how how do you separate these steps out? Um, so when it when it comes to the different sections of Polar Bear, um, you would have let's let's talk about the easiest one, which would be the client application. There's actually a a bold step included there where you're taking um ES twenty fifteen code or actually ES seven code, um, and you're transpiling that into ES five code that then becomes um. It's a, a fixed set of assets in a folder that you can deploy to a static server or to your server-side rendering server. Um, in the case of the API server, what it does for the build step is literally just copy and paste everything, the, the whole directory structure, excluding .git and all the ignored folders in, into a dist folder that can then be compressed and deployed. Um, so releasing will be managed by a set of tasks um, in what will now be called salmon because I joked about it earlier. Um, but uh, that that will literally just take your your compiled or your bolt source and push it to to your servers. And running will be managed by mostly Node Foreman. And Node Foreman is the just like any other form and implementation uses the proc file with the process specs to fire up what's being defined Correct. in there. Correct. It's also a pretty popular pattern these days. Yeah. Foreman, Gorman, Node Foreman, who knows how many other ones there are. So after that, we have, now we've got an artifact that we can run through Node Foreman. Um, so it's as processes running. This part I like, especially, um, it's a stateless processes. So you must be able to, well, in, oh, in your words, how do you describe a stateless process? That's a very hard question. <laughs> and and, and it's, it's very, very easy to answer that incorrectly. And I'm probably going to answer it incorrectly. Um, but your, your processes should not rely on, um, on each other. That's, that's the main thing. Um, when it comes to stateless processes for me. Uh, the only thing your process should rely on is is the configuration that's been passed to it. Um, it shouldn't start up and, and look at what happened in history and try to recover from that. It shouldn't um, do anything crazy. It should literally just be like, hey, I have come into the, the world. I know about these services. I know about this set of configuration. I am here, I am listening for incoming connections. Yeah, and, and no, connections therefore should be, you should be able to serve connections through any process without um, one process relying on another to share information. Correct. Um, and, and if you did want, if you did need to share some kind of state between processes, you would use a backing service attached to those processes, something that's common between them. Uh, in order to share that information between them. That's 100% uh, correct. That's that's how we would go about it. 
So you could use your database server or something like Redis. Uh, I'm guessing you wouldn't use something like inter-process communication then, because that would then be introducing state. Um, depends, right? Yes. So it depends if, if, if your inter-process communication is being treated as a service. Um, but, but most of the time it, it wouldn't. Um, because then what you're saying is you, you are creating state. You're, you're talking about a process looking at history um, of itself or a copy of itself. And, and that just opens many cans of worms that, that uh, we, we do not even want to approach. Agreed. Okay, so that, that handles stateless processes. Uh, shall we take a look at the next point? That's port bounding. Yeah, we can almost roll them up a bit. Mm. So the port binding is the simplest thing in the world. Instead of hard co being hard-coded to a port, you take one of those environment variables or something else that tells your application which port to bind to. So it can be dynamically reconfigured. If you're running, I said earlier with the multi-course, if you've eight copies of your node process running on one box, you just they shouldn't contain for resources or for port allocation, so they can just listen everywhere, anywhere where the outside told them to listen to. And that's the same thing with the concurrency. Whether you're running that bunch on one box or you're running eight of them on separate boxes, and that ties in again to the statelessness. And it comes full circle to this disposability. Be able to nuke these things very, very quickly um, so f and and, sh and um, start them up very quickly as well. It's yeah, it's strange that they break it down so granularly. Uh, to me, it's almost like one thing. I I don't know if you guys agree with me or disagree. Um, the the port binding thing is 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 quite important. I think it's it's a good thing that it's it's a separate port. Uh, point. Sorry. Um, it's and the the important thing here is that it's that it's not just your web services, but all services shouldn't um rely on on a port being available but rather a port being provided to them via your configuration uh which makes it primarily easier to have multiple instances of the same thing running which makes it easy to start scaling horizontally yes i agree yeah i think i mean they these are fairly granular points and they do relate to each other all fairly heavily uh, and you could you could relate things like um, your backing services could be talking about a logging service, and then point eleven talks about logs as event streams where you'd want things going out through standard out. Uh, but altogether, as a philosophy, these twelve points link together in such a way that uh, in order to make it work, you need to be sticking with each point. Correct. Yeah, you caught me out. I think these things are just so ingrained for us. I think yeah. the moment you deploy to something, well, at least for me, it was the moment I started deploying stuff to Heroku, even though it was just toy apps, um, it very quickly changed that I started deploying stuff yeah. everywhere else. Like, I mean, the first time I had to deploy an app, app that I had built professionally was a matter of opening up remote desktop, uh, FTPing a file up to another server, copying it down on another, well, on the server through remote desktop. It, it was a nightmare. Let's just summarize it. <laughs> um if if we're if we're sharing horror stories about that my 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 first um i i was a net developer when i started and our deploy process i'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar in windows with aerosnap but that's when you snap windows to the left and the right side of your screens um our deployment process, one of the most important parts of that was aero snapping your remote desktop to the right side of your screen so you could dra drag and drop the bolt source from your desktop onto the server. Well, we laugh. It's still just one artifact that you needed to move around. Sometimes those are simpler days. Yeah, that one artifact that you probably accidentally built in debug mode instead of release mode. Um, yeah, I know, I got <laughs> all of the human interactions in between that, that all of this just gets rid of a lot of that automates human error automates things that are prone to human error yeah, nobody wants to do the mundane stuff yeah cool um where were we disposability 
Uh, maximize robust with fast startup and graceful shutdown. Um, so this is probably the hardest of of all these points. Um, your processes should start up as quickly as possible for obvious reasons. If you want to scale horizontally, if you need a server ten seconds ago, if it takes a minute to start up, you're you're dead in the water. You want your your processes to be snappy and speedy. Um, and graceful shutdown. Uh, a good example of that is you have a HTTP request that has gone to a server. Um, that request is taking a bit of time. The server gets a shutdown request, uh, and the server now shuts down in the middle of that HTTP request, uh, and the the client loses connection, loses its data. A uh, graceful shutdown would be that the server gets the shutdown request. Um, the app tells the server to just wait, wait a little bit, let this request finish, stop accepting new requests, and then shuts down. Um, so this this is important because you don't want to lose data, uh, especially if you're scaling horizontally and you're continuously starting up new processes and losing them. Um, it, you you don't want to have the case where someone has posted to your server and the server now thinks, okay, I'm not getting any new connections, I'm going to shut down now, and then you lose that data. Um, that's why we need graceful shutdown. Yeah, the thing with this point I find when they talk about fast startup is fast is always a relative term. Is five seconds fast? Well, it depends, right? Yes. So the the one thing that I will agree I think on though there is you don't want to be waiting 20 minutes for a VM to boot up and bootstrap itself before it can start serving requests. You need this to be quick enough that you have a, a slider that you can just say I want five more of these started up. Okay, they're running. Yes. Um I think a better word than fast would be painless painless startup and, and graceful shutdown. Um, you don't want to hurt when when you start your processes. Yes, because fast for JVM guys is completely different than fast for Node. It's completely different than fast for Ruby. It's different than fast for Rails app with all its dependencies. But as long as they're there and ready to go, I guess that's the important part. Yes. Um, yeah, Famous. I fired up a JVM in prep for this episode, but I don't think it's ready yet. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's so mean. Don't be mean, Kevin. Um, but once it's up, you're going to regret it. <laughs> it's going to be f- killing everything else you've got. Okay. Um, and then my favorite point, um, and and the the bane of many a conversation for me is. Uh, Dev prod parity, keeping your development and staging and production environments as similar as possible. So this is this is like a bugbear to me. Um, where let's let's talk about this in the React world. Um, there's this thing called hot module replacement and and Webpack, um, where people are running their React applications in a development server. Um, that is completely separate to their production server, to, to the way it acts and um, the the way it spews everything out. So you are working on something your client will never see. You are debugging, you are um, stress testing, you are doing your work on something your client will never see. And then you take this code and you bundle it up and you push it off to... Um, to a production server and suddenly something breaks and you have no idea what's gone wrong because you you, you tried your best and you and you stress tested and and people are, are really freaked out to why things are breaking and it's a terrible idea if if you are spending your time working on code that your client will never use never see um you are wasting your own time or wasting your client's money. Even if your client is yourself, you're, you're wasting, wasting away. Um, if you have a production server, 
and it runs in a certain way, you want to run your stress tests, your debugging against that. You you want to be as close to your client, to your user as possible when it when it comes to that kind of high intensity um, work. Uh, so so you don't get these these unforeseen cropping up. You don't get the oh, but it was working on my machine um, kind of responses. I don't know what your guys' feelings about this is, but but I feel very strongly that you should stay as close as possible to what your client is seeing. Yeah, I think as soon as you've got some variation between your dev and your production environment, uh, that's been some of the most frustrating debugging sessions, right? Where it's working in, in dev, no problem, but you have a problem in production, or even if you've got separate dev production and staging environments where, some, where you've switched something off on staging, uh, perhaps bypass some expensive validation check or connecting to some external service to uh, to retrieve you know, identity information or something like that that you have to pay for, uh, to then have environments that differ could cause all kinds of problems that, as I said, can be extremely frustrating to debug. No, I definitely agree that parity should be, it should be as, as similar as you can possibly make it. This also links back all the way to point one about the code base being uh, many deploys. So if you go into the detail on that, they, they say you should even treat um, the developers copies of the app as deploys. So if I'm, if I clone the repository from GitHub and I start working on this code base, that's a 12 factor code base. Um, I should be able to set that up in pretty much the same way as I would set up a, a, a production environment for it. That's correct. And that's actually something that Polar Bear is um, going to do is provide you with either Docker or vagrant instances of what your servers are going to be. So the same infrastructure management scripts you're going to use to set up your servers, you're going to spin up a VM on your machine and you're going to run that code against it um, to have basically a copy of your production server on your machine ready and running your code. Um, that's, that's the goal. That'll be so useful. Yeah. I mean, it's frustrating as a Rails developer where on dev, I'll just fire up Rails S. Uh, but I know deploying, if it's running on Heroku, it's not, that's not the way that my server is going to be fired up. It's going to be some so, sort of Puma magic. Puma, Passenger, you name it. There'll be something else in, uh, in the midst there. And just having a, some way of um, conforming your dev and production environments really helps there. And I mean, Foreman does a lot of that. I think that's why we were talking about node Foreman earlier, whether it's Foreman in Ruby or what is the other one you mentioned? Uh, Gorman, I think. Yes, it's the Go equivalent. Go, yeah. So having that, all of these tools kind of relate to each other and it's just the same philosophy over and over. Yes. Um, so, so I, so shall we go on to uh, just the final two points of the 12 factors and take a look at how Polar Bear is going to tackle those? Um, yeah, sure. So logs, treating logs as event streams. Um, so this is, this is a, a weird one. Um, and I think the, the kind of people who, who really understand this come from, from like, Spring backgrounds and from Rails backgrounds, um, where logs were managed by your framework, and they would write to disk somewhere, and they would um, manage the, the 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 history of your logs, and do your log rotation, and um, and all of that, and that is tends to become very sticky and and painful. Um, because what you want to do when you develop your application is you want to solve business problems. Um, you, want to, you want to address them. 
And if you spend so much time trying to figure out if your logs are rotating correctly because your framework um, is is supposed to do it for you, uh, or or you're trying to manage your your logs through your framework, um, you're you're not solving the business problems. You're you're solving your logging problems, and you don't want to do that. You want you want to be able to shell that out to an external service. So so what the twelve factor app um, suggests you do is you don't write your logs to disk or to memory or to something that the framework manages. Uh, you merely pipe them to standard out. And what that allows you to do is take that um, the, the logs that are being piped to standard out and pass them off to a log management service such as Logstash or um, I'm, I'm hitting a complete blank here now. Paper um, trail or any of those backend services yeah, that you can hook yeah. into. Yes, yes. Uh, so they can do the complex log rotations for you. They can do history for you. They can do all of that for you. Um, it, it just takes some pain away from, from your development cycle. So in terms of convention over configuration in, uh, in Polar Bay, all logs would be just going straight out to standard out then? That's correct. Um, cool. Just straight piping into standard out, and then when node foreman or um, any foreman uh, starts up the process, it's literally just going to start and pipe to logging service. And then once your logging is enough uh, or adequate, you can start uh, tweaking it to emit more like JSONy stuff, and then you can get your log stash or paper trail of one of these services actually alerting on it rather than just having a grip in the cloud. That's that's correct. I must say it's something I still need to get a good handle on. I just make sure they all end up in one spot where I can quickly just search for them. Don't care about the nice formats just yet. Yeah, but having those coming through standard out makes it so much easier than if they're just being saved on disk uh, in a file somewhere. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Because you lose files. <laughs> well, if you're going to be uh, shutting your processes down and bring, bringing things up all the time, you probably have ephemeral uh, storage that you're storing these logs on anyway. So as soon as you shut down your machine, those logs are gone. Yeah. Um and and that's 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 the thing that you lose you lose files you you lose anything you have to manage yourself will create pain so why not just shell that out to a service mm. cool um let's move on to the 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 last point admin processes running admin and management tasks as one off processes so um uh, we came up with 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 a name for for the task runner for Polar Bear um, uh, Salmon in, in 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 this talk. So I love the metaphors around you. <laughs> um, so this is this is really just about being able to repetitive things that you need to be able to run on your machine should be able to run as separate processes that you can run migrations or um tasks i need to send 50 emails to someone um night well let's not talk about scheduling i need to send 50 emails um that should be a task that you can run once um that can just go queue and and do its thing uh the i i, I don't know if i need to argue about whether it's a good thing or not um but Having these things be separate is is quite nice. Um, it's having small uh, tasks that you can fit in your head is always better than having a big um, pile of, of of junk to sort through. Yeah, something that Gabriel Fortuna said a while ago was, if you have to SSH into your server, consider that a bug. Yes, that's that's a very good. That's that's very cool. I like that. Rely on your automation to get it done for you. Yeah, don't trust a human with your servers. You know, they make mistakes. I, I'm, 
the the last few times I've I've had to sort um server issues, I've literally just said when someone told me to just SSH and fix it, I said, I'm just gonna throw away this server and start a new one, it should be fine. Um have you tried turning it off and on again? The old the old joke goes. Um <laughs> and and believe you not, it always works and you can you can diagnose what went wrong in your in your log management service. Um but just just the ability to be able to kill off stragglers and um bring healthy new processes up is is awesome. Oh that's pretty cool. So Tor Factor apps, I think, are pretty awesome. Uh, I, I don't think there's much of a justification to be building service-based apps in any other way, really. I, I'm sure there are better ways. I just don't know about them yet. Yeah, we always keep learning, but at least for now, with the tools that we have available to us at the moment, I, I always try to go down this methodology. I think, Kenny, as you said, it's kind of just so ingrained into us that we see these separate points and realize, but this is all the same thing, isn't it? Yes, that's true. We've been doing this, been on this edge of the sword for too long. <laughs> but I must say, it's definitely a, a great way to build. And, and any tool out there or, or framework that helps people um, demystify it, you know, clear the fog of war, so to speak, is hugely valuable. Well, that's that's what Polar Bear hopes to be someday. Um, so uh, definitely not not yet ready for for consumption. Um, very much a work in progress. Going to be looking. Uh, V one should be ready in about six months or so. So that is. Let me check my calendar. Uh, it is now. It's in six months. Yeah, <laughs> that'll be August. That'll be August. Correct. Um, so look out for V1 in August. Uh, thanks for your time, people. But yeah, until then, I'm sure that we'll be turning that code base, helping contribute where we can. Having yeah. debates about 12 factor on GitHub issues. Cool. Thank you so much. I, I really, really appreciate your time, guys. Hmm, thanks for coming on. Yeah. So pleasure to hear about your a homegrown project and not somebody else's <laughs> that's let, let's hope i can keep keep it going that's very cool very cool okay so we start talking about some picks kenneth do you want to kick us off oi i walked into that one uh, <laughs> yeah actually just one um it's ember related i'll give have links for the show note but it's it's an ember add-on called ember concurrency and there's a great video from the Ember NYC meetup where Alex Machinier talks through uh, this plugin and what it does and how he uses uh, async tasks, um, what do they call it? Generators in ES6 to great, create these great tasks that can be stopped, restarted, cancelable. So it's like a next evolution of what promises could be, but like a task orientated thing. And it, it's it's just fantastic. And even if you're not an Ember developer, I think the ideas in there is fantastic that anybody can then go back to their framework as long as they can use generator functions. Uh, they could probably implement the same thing. It's it's quite eye-opening. So that's it for me. Awesome. Uh, ben, what have you got for us? Okay, cool. So I've, I've got from the, the functional JavaScripting world, uh, I have got a thing called Ramda.js. So if you've ever worked with Lodash or underscore, uh, Ramda is a, a more purest take on um, functional programming in JavaScript. So you'll find things like uh, functions applied from the right, uh, everything being a curried function, um, all, of, all of that. Very, very cool library to look at. And then something I always want to um, throw out there is two blog posts um, by a developer called Eric Elliott, very, very intelligent person. Um, the first article is called The Two Pillars of JavaScript. Um, just Google that. It's on Medium. You'll be able to find it quite easily. Um, go read through that. It'll change your, your JavaScript world forever. Um, and then the second article, also by Eric, 
Eric Elliott is uh, 10 interview questions every JavaScript developer should know. Um, and you, you can go through that as well. Uh, that also touches on the two pillars of JavaScript. And um, it's, it's just a, a very awesome read. And when I read it first a few years ago, it, it completely blew my mind and changed the way I think about JavaScript. Cool. From my side, um, the first is a bit of an organizational tip. Um, if you have cables lying around your desk or trying to keep things on your desk, I've got one of those quirky cordies. Uh, take a lot sells them. Uh, it's really useful to just keep, if you want to just keep your HDMI and power cables kind of on your desk without floating around, it just sits nicely. You can just stick it down with some double-sided tape. The other pick that I've got is blogging. Um, I've started blogging again a bit more regularly and really enjoying that. And the one takeaway from blogging is that teaching is the best way of learning. Once you can teach something, then you know that you know it. So if you aren't blogging, just fire up a blog, start writing. And the best way I've come across of just trying to figure out what to write about if you're hitting writer's block is try and write the blog post that you would have liked to read two or three weeks ago, something that would have helped you then. That really helps. Very cool. Well, that's it from me. That is some good advice. Cool. So yeah, thank you. That is episode 31 of ZA Dev Chat Podcast. Uh, please rate us on iTunes, leave us a review. We'd love to hear some feedback. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at ZA Dev Chat. We're also on Facebook and Google Plus, depending on your preferred uh, way of connection. And also DevConf is next week, Tuesday, the 8th of March. Please come say hello to us if you're there. We'll be there. We'll be recording an episode while we're there. So yeah, please come have a chat to the three, well, to Kenneth, Len, and I while we're there. Ben, as uh, Ben said, he's also speaking there. So Ben, what are you speaking about again? Uh, so I'm going to be talking about composition over inheritance in JavaScript and about the two pillars of JavaScript that I mentioned earlier, those that blog post. Um, so please do come over to DevConf, come over to my talk. I, I, I will be sure to... Uh, overflow you with with all my javascript knowledge um hopefully you you can come out of it knowing more about functional programming and prototypical inheritance awesome thanks for coming on ben we really enjoyed that cool yeah. thanks so much kevin Th Kenneth, um, thanks a lot and len in your absence cheers ben cheers guys ciao, cheers. ciao. Bye.